amen. What a sweet morning of worship as we begin our time together today. I'm so grateful that you're here. I pray that as we continue our journey through Genesis as a church family, that you are persevering in your daily readings as we've gathered uh, each week to hear from God's word during this portion of our worship. Uh, I pray that you are seeking time each day to just invest in God's word, to hear, to see, maybe to learn something, to, uh, to catch something you've not caught before that the Lord would speak to you and through you in the days ahead. Uh, as we continue in our journey, we've noticed in the first 11 chapters, we've seen four great events, haven't we? We've obviously observed, read of the creation, the fall of man, the flood, and of course, last week, the Tower of Babel. And aside from Adam and Eve, in all of these tremendous events, God has been dealing with the human race as a whole. But this past week, as you have begun uh, chapter 12 in your daily readings, or in the days that follow, chapter 12 and following, we'll encounter four individuals known as the patriarchs, Abram being the first, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. From Abram, who would then be called Abraham in the days ahead, we know and understand that the three main religions of this world flow from this one man, Abraham. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All of them flow from Abraham. Aside from Jesus, perhaps the most famous man in all of human history, many in this world know of Abraham. He was famous, but unlike Jesus, Abram, Abraham, was also fallen. He was a flawed man. I invite you to turn with me as we begin, continue our journey in chapter 12 of Genesis. And as you do so, I'd have you consider this question. Have you ever been somewhere unfamiliar? Perhaps you were out of state, maybe you were out of country, and you were desperate for directions. Now, before GPS, this was far more common than it is today with our smartphones and, and GPS devices. Uh, and in those moments, yes, men and women alike, you must be willing to ask for help when lost, when in need of directions. But perhaps when you were humble enough and aware enough to, and desperate enough to ask for help, you would typically encounter two types of people that gave directions. There were those who gave detailed directions, who said, you know, take that highway to this exit and hit that street, detailed. But then you have those folks who give you very general ideas. It's like, now listen here, partner, you're gonna turn out of here till you see a white mailbox. And take that road until it ends at a church, the rusted rooftop, right? and hang a left at that street, then go until you see the little red schoolhouse and you're almost there. Uh, perhaps you've been in small towns like I have and been given those directions. In those moments, why do we seek out such clear directions? Because wired in each and every one of us is a desire to have direction. There are few people in, in this world who enjoy wandering aimlessly or starting an important journey, catch this, without a clear idea of the ultimate destination. 
Few people enjoy doing that. Yet, listen here, my friend, that is exactly what God called the man we meet in Genesis 12 to do. That's exactly what he called us to do. We will soon see by faith, Abram was called to leave all that was safe and familiar to follow God's call and plan for his life. And although Abram's obedience would inspire songs that would live on in classrooms for generations to come, Father Abraham had many sons, right? Don't act like you don't know. (laughs) We'll also see times in which Abram wavered in his trust that God would provide for him at every need and at every leg of his journey. But first, as I said in chapter 12, verse one, let's understand Abram's calling. You read along with me. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. We see God's call here for Abram. Note, obviously at the beginning, he did nothing to deserve or warrant this call. God chose this man for this purpose, for a people. And as he soon understood in this encounter, this face-to-face encounter with Jehovah God, that where there is a call from God, there is also promises from God. God's command, his promises to Abram in these passages were largely threefold. You saw there in verse one, calling you to a land that I would provide later. The destination not yet known, like an MLB trade, a player to be named later, a land to be named later. Secondly, a nation that God's people would become. Verse two, 
In verse 3, that he himself, God would make him into a blessing to all people. His command, his promise, there were many listed there. We don't have time to unpack each one, but largely we see that God commanded him and promised him to a land, a nation, and ultimately his very life and name would be a blessing to all people through him. What a calling. As we sitting on this side of the cross in the resurrection, we understand that this third promise, this blessing was ultimately fulfilled and most greatly met when Jesus Christ became the means through which the world could be blessed for those who trust him. As Paul wrote to the church at Galatia in chapter 3, now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but for referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. Again, Abram was told nothing about the land to which he must go. His departure and his journey required an unparalleled act of faith. This was the call Abraham was to follow. Perhaps similar to Noah, where he just had to trust God completely. My friend, you and I, we are invited. God calls us in a somewhat similar way today to follow him as disciples of Christ. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fishers of men. To identify with Christ means we are following in the footsteps of the one who calls us. It's not just some sort of concept or construct. It is Christ whom we follow. And as part of that invitation, as we sang multiple times over, I'm not sure if you caught it, part of following Jesus implies that we trust him completely. Trust. It's pretty significant. The wisest man ever to live, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. And what will he do? He will make your paths straight. Speaking of journeys, I've been lost a lot of times. The closest and quickest path between two points is a straight line. My friend, you want to walk on the straight path? You want to cease the struggle, the complications, the distractions, the altered routes, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. This call, this invitation is, as I said, coupled with a promise we understand from Scripture to make us fruitful, the Word says. As we've been studying in Connect Group for the past several weeks through the Gospel of John, that anyone who remains in him, abide in me, remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to be fruitful. You want to be useful. You want to have a purpose that is fulfilled in your life. Trust, follow, abide in Christ. His promise, like Abram, for us is to guide our steps, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. A faithful presence from the Lord. Abram departed, trusting. How? By faith. By faith that God is who he says he is and that he would do what he promised he would do. My friend, wherever you're at this morning, at whatever point you are in your journey with Christ, my question for you today is do you trust Jesus completely? Like Abram trusted Jesus completely. By faith means it doesn't always make sense. But we trust by God's word, his character, the testimony of revelation throughout all of human history that he and he alone is faithful, that he and he alone is reliable. That is why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 wrote that by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out, though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He had a faith that was looking forward. Perhaps the reason we don't trust Christ with the same type of focus and surrender is perhaps that we're looking downward, looking to set up residence here, to find our comfort here, safety, security, and all manner of idols that the world would have us worship and sacrifice to instead of trusting the very creator of our lives and the redeemer of all mankind, the God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. What's incredible here as we read these passages and we understand Abram's call and his first steps of obedience, many of you know what's coming next. Even though he met with God and understood the call on his life, Next, we see how Abram compromised and in doing so, risked losing everything. As sure as he was in following God's call in his life, the moment he encountered desperate situations, a moment of need, he compromised. Let's 
Continue on in verse 10. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Her very name means princess. When the Egyptians see you, verse 12, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you. And my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. I'll never forget when I was uh, late high school, maybe early college, I believe, I began to read through scripture completely for the very first time. And it didn't take long, maybe some of you were doing that this year as well, which I'm so excited and encouraged to hear you doing so. Because as you go through scripture, you don't have to flip a few pages to encounter these heroes of the faith, people that we laud, that Hebrews 11 puts in the top 10, the halls of faith. See, they messed up. I remember going to my pastor at the time, I said, hey, I believe this Abram, this later on we read, this isn't the last time that Abram messes up. Kind of has a habit of doing this. Did you imagine being his wife? Whew. Like, I thought this was a, I thought this was a big time player in the kingdom of God. And what's alarming, yes, people make mistakes, but it's when the people who weren't of God, the enemies of God, the people who opposed Israel and those who were God's anointed, they're the ones calling out the people who were meeting face to face with God. How messed up is that? What's the problem? Why did Abram compromise himself and his family in such a way, his bride? God had appeared and gave him a promise. But when faced with difficulties and ang- excuse me, hunger, Abram didn't believe God. He went down to the land of Egypt. And for those of us who read scripture, we know that we can equate Egypt with a picture of the world and all that this world would offer. The ultimate compromise to physically leave the place that God promised would be the source of blessing to pursue a finite and temporary resolution from the world, Egypt. He lied about his wife, though we understand. This was 
His half-sister, we would read later. So it was kind of like a half-lie, but he intentionally deceived, only sharing with them what he wanted to know. I thought of uh, parents. You ever been to a place, maybe a large crowd? There's parents with kids that are just running wild and crazy, and peeps, finally somebody comes up to the dad and says, excuse me, sir, uh, is this your child? And the guy's like, oh, no, that's her kid. I just drove him here. I'm like, I don't know. Nah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you were the source of transportation, the means of transportation, but that is your child. You cannot deny it, no matter what little half-truth you try to weave in there. But maybe some of us, you might be sympathetic to Abram's motive because your boy was hungry. There was a famine in the land. He was overwhelmed by fear, unmet needs. He sought a way out, ultimately trusting in himself and his own schemes more so than God. Can't really throw shade at that because when I get hungry, you know, I may be tempted to give up or throw hands with somebody if you catch me at the wrong time, right? That's hashtag Snickers. That's why they have a whole series. You know, you're not you when you're hungry. But life is more than bread. Abram was called to trust that God would provide and meet his needs here. Instead, he went there. And as a result... His actions, his decisions, his motives compromised not only him, but his bride, his entire party. One commentator said his conduct was inconsistent with his character as a servant of God. It showed a reliance on worldly policy more than a trust in the promise. And he not only sinned himself, but tempted Sarai to sin also. We see in this passage that when Pharaoh confronted him, Abram had no response. Why? Because he was not justified for his actions. He knew he had acted deceitfully and there was no justification for his actions. And yet, in spite of the trouble Abram caused for himself, God was faithful to his word. Hear me, friend. He did not let the foolishness of this man at this moment compromise his plan for a people. Yes, Abram received what he needed in that moment. He was gifted and had all those, his needs were met by virtue of his deception. And then even in this moment of compromise, God still continued to work his plan. You see, throughout our journey and our life, we may, too, be tempted to compromise for any number of reasons. Maybe we begin to value performance over a pursuit where it's easy to operate by external measurements rather than really assessing our internal motivations for living the way we do. We begin to be driven by duty rather than desire that says, I have to with, that, excuse me, this replaces I want to with I have to for God, where my sincerity of my devotion for the Lord changes because of what circumstances I might find myself in. But remember this, child of God, 
He never promises to bless disobedience. Hear me, students. Hear me, young people. God never promises to bless your disobedience. So the question I have for you this morning is that will you trust God to provide all that you need even when difficulties strike? In that moment when things don't make sense, there are no answers. Will you trust God? When you have needs that continue to go unmet, will you still trust God? Whenever you're surrounded by unfamiliar places, unfamiliar people, unfriendly people, will you continue to trust God or will you fret? Will you fight? Will you give up and compromise? Because in those moments, our character and our example must reflect the glory of God to a lost world that's always watching around us. In those moments when you have needs, when you're tempted to give up and surrender, do you reflect the glory of God in your life to a world that's watching, to friends that are watching, to family members that are watching? Otherwise, catch this, hear me. When we make an idol out of our conquests, our character becomes our sacrifice. When we begin to live under the lie that we believe that where I go and what I accomplish matters more than how I get there or how I get it done. My friends, the ends do not justify the means. Otherwise, Abram would have been justified. He was in the source of place of blessing, had an unmet need, goes to Egypt and comes back. God didn't affirm that. Pharaoh judged him by it and for it. What accomplishment, what status, what goal maybe exists in your life that is the ultimate that may cause you to compromise your character and your testimony in the present instead of trusting what God has for you in the future. Abram doubted God in a moment of need, and as we'll soon see, he'll do it again. But David, Pastor David told me to stay right here, chapter 12, so y'all tell him. That's what I did, chapter 12. I'm calling him Abram, not Abraham. That's where we are. In this passage, though, we see he met with him twice. God met with God twice. Yet when the Bible mentions his name, Abram, who is called Abraham, is heralded for his faith, his trust, his firm belief in God. So my friend, here's the message of encouragement for us all today. Here's the hope. Be encouraged that if that can be said of Abraham, it can be said of you as well. If you place your trust in the one who created you and died and rose victorious for you. Pastor David said it a few weeks ago, fear drives faith away, but faith drives fear away. Psalmist, one, 
116 reminds us of that very truth, that the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. If you're struggling if, with doubt, with discouragement, with unmet needs, with fears, you're in welcome company. But I challenge you to trust God. I... Um, my wife and I, we recently became friends with the coach and director of the equestrian program at the University of the South, Sewanee. Uh, for those of you who watch the Olympics or are familiar, that's horse riding. And uh, that's a sport I'm not real familiar with. Uh, the Lord has used this incredible woman, Corrine Gordy, as uh, a great example. Her strong Christian testimony and coaching credibility has made it an impact in this, already in this program, in the lives of these young riders already in a few short years. Uh, our family just a few weeks ago attended a competition of theirs at Miller Coliseum. It was fascinating to watch. I'd never seen one up close. Uh, we learned the difference between all the different events and the setup that was involved with each. We also learned, as many of you may be aware, that the riders for each team do not get to choose the horse they ride for any given event. Prior to the day's competition, they draw names and horses at random for each event. So, although you may have practice on a particular horse every day at your school's property, when your name is drawn for these events, you might be riding a horse you've never ridden before on a course you've never seen before. Now, of course, this compels the most experienced and skilled riders to shine. Whereas the more anxious or inexperienced riders may struggle to lead their horse successfully and navigate the course. That's when Coach Gordy gave us the following insight. An anxious rider with an anxious horse is a bad combination. You see, an anxious or inexperienced horse is one thing, but add in a rider that doesn't know the course or isn't confident in their training and ability, that can lead to truly dangerous outcomes. Soon as I heard that, God struck me and made me realize in that moment, throughout my walk with the Lord, how often am I like an anxious horse that refuses to trust its rider? How distracted can I become on the obstacles in front of me instead of the one who is gently and confidently leading me through every leg of my race? Just as he had done and would continue to do in Abram's life, God has proven himself faithful in mine. The course may not be without challenges or obstacles, but I can trust that he will be there with me throughout each one. So again, 
my one question for you today. Today, do you really trust God? Do you really believe that the Lord is faithful? He has a command and a call on your life. He also has a promise, multitude, and he will fulfill every one. Will you trust him or will your race be marked more by fear and doubt? My friend, today we've sang it multiple times over. We trust you. There's insurance that he is able that he is faithful, we can rest, return my soul, rest in him. Fix your eyes to the heavens and trust in him who alone took it all on the cross, paid the price for your sin and my sin and rose victorious to prove himself faithful. And my friend, the moment you reach out for him, he's there to respond and guide you hand to hand, side by side, for all time, forever. What is your response to that invitation today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible testimony of a fallen man, but one somehow through your grace and your kingdom, he's heralded as a man of faith, the father of all generations because of your plan for his life. Lord, as I look out through this gathering of your people today, I'm sure there are so many who like me are discouraged by, by needs that we still have, frustrated with struggles that just don't seem to pass. But God, perhaps it's in those moments of desperation and helplessness. Oh, Father, you look down in love and you get in the boat with us. So God, I pray for the man. I pray for the woman, the kid in this space today who in their pride is resisting Oh God, by faith, I pray that they would run to you, that you would receive them as a loving father, that you would give them eternal life because they have placed their faith in you and you alone forever. We thank you that you hear our cry. The moments we have left, and we're gonna stand in just a minute, we're gonna sing, respond in song, in worship, but perhaps it's not a song that is your act of worship today, but it is a surrender of your life to him. Be it during this song or in the moments that follow in transition, myself and others will be down front. Man, we love to walk with you, to pray with you, what it means to truly trust God. Father, that is all we have, you alone. Who do we have in heaven but you? So Father, we surrender our lives and our voices, our very selves to you in complete surrender. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. With one voice, we say.
Amen. Let's stand and sing.